Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it's Friday. It's the food fight. We're talking about investors. Are they bullish? Are they bearish? Do they not know whether they should be bullish or bearish? And what does that mean about the market? This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, Financial Food Fight. Welcome to the Food Fight. Paul Vini, Stephen Grosser, Barron's Jack Otter, and Market Watch's Chuck Jaffe here with you on this Friday. And I, I, I know, gentlemen, that we all want to get out of here as soon as we can and get to this uh, what's going to be a beautiful Memorial Day weekend here in the tri-state area. I assume it's going to be pretty good for you up in Boston, too, Chuck. Uh, it's the hope, at least. Yeah. Before we get there, though, we gotta we got to fight a little bit, gentlemen. Of course we have to fight because it's Friday, and Friday is the food fight. And let's start with it. And, Chuck, this was your idea, and I think this is a, a pretty good launching point. The latest results of the AAII poll, which is the American Association of Individual Investors, they come out with this poll every week uh, measuring bullish and bearish sentiments. They ask – it's funny. They, they ask basically the same – it's interesting because they ask the same questions to investors. They've been doing this poll since '87. Here are the latest results, and and you gentlemen tell me what you make of them. So this is the survey results for the week ending May 25th. Bullish sentiment was at 17.8%, which is down 1.6 percentage points. The historical average there is about 38%. Uh, Neutral sentiment is 52.9%. That is up 6.3 percentage points, and the historical average there is 31%. And bearish sentiment is 29.4%, down 4.7 percentage points. The historical average there is 30.3%. Uh, what, do, what, do, what do we think? What are investors telling us? That they have no idea what to think. They are confused. And this is not a new thing. As Stephen Grosser mentioned this earlier, um, in the Barron's big money poll last fall, the institutional guys showed the highest level of I don't know really? in a very long time. I think it's because we're getting so many conflicting signals. You know, you, the three of us could sit here and we could be told, make the bullish argument and give six right, data right, points right. or make the bearish argument and give I'm, another I'm, six. I'm not sure Paul could actually come up with a, <laughs> you uh, know the what? bullish I, argument. I, I could make the bullish argument. I could do it. I'm, you know... I can I can play both sides just because I believe one or the other is you know uh, my, my question for Chuck Jaffe is Chuck Jaffe do you have the Spicoli I don't know comment do you have a, a little sound clip for that one that's uh, what we need for this debate I I'll, I'll look for it in a minute I didn't I didn't quite prepare with that I mean to me I didn't either the, yeah. the interesting thing about the numbers is that they're getting to what amounts to record <laughs> levels or levels that we haven't seen in a long time <coughs> the the it's the fewest bullish investors in the AAII survey since 2005, you know, that means you have fewer bulls right now than you did in the aftermath of, you know, Lehman Brothers going bankrupt, which that's kind of hard to see because that was a wake up and smell the coffee kind of moment for a lot of people. And you have, you, you have the neutral sentiment is at its highest level in 16 years. So, you know, and you can look and, and, separate out the case for bulls and bears and just go, okay, what have you seen this year? You've seen value, which has been beaten by growth for a long time. Value has been beating growth this year. 
But now if you're a value investor, you look at the market valuations and you go, I can't buy anything anymore that's a value, but I don't think there's any growth there. So you can look at this in a lot of different ways. And, I mean, it's funny. I talk to money managers all the time. The value guys right now can't find anything to buy. The growth guys right now can't find anything to buy. You know, the interesting thing from the, the survey, to your point, uh, is they say their they're big, the AAII, their big takeaway was, and I'm reading directly from their website right now, they say optimism is below 20% and neutral sentiment is above 50% on the same week for just the sixth time in the survey's history. So it, it goes to that point that investors don't exactly know what to do. And it just, you know, to, to me, it's how long have we been hearing, oh, the U.S. is the best house on a bad block. Oh, what else are you going to buy? Oh, all these arguments for buying stocks, which have been lame arguments. They have not been stocks are a good investment. You should buy them. I'm not saying no one's you can't make that, Chuck Chaffee. I'm saying no one's been making it. They've been saying buy stocks because everything else looks lousier. I think people are just they're, they're tired of hearing everything's lousier. And they're talking with their money. Mutual fund outflows uh, have been going on for a long time. Well, now, granted, some of the money is going to ETFs, but not enough to offset it. But it's net an outflow. Uh, no, exactly. It has been like the flows are are bad. In fact, the, one of the ETFs that's seeing a lot of inflows is one that is short the S and P five hundred. But we're supposed to move, you know, essentially inversely to the S and P five hundred. It's got in, I think, the pro shares thing. Yeah. Oh, people, if you're listening, please do not do, not do that. And I'm not saying that because I'm. I'm a bull. I'm saying that because you're going to get bad results no matter what happens. Yeah, well, but the, but the money that's flowing into the short ETFs is typically the quote-unquote professionals. I, I so. say yeah. that because they're not necessarily professionals. They just get paid to do this. They're not any better necessarily than anybody else. But they're richer, and I'd rather they lose their shirt. But, than uh, I but, but I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, another thing that's like sort of speaks to where the professionals are is like you know options, options that pay out if the S and P surge versus if it falls. You know, they're they're costing a lot more. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of sort of sort of technical like sort of people are sort of lining up on the bearish side of this market. And it makes sense. I mean, we, you know, this this rally, when you talk to a lot of people, this one that started in February, um, has been called like the most hated rally um, around. And no one's ever has, has said significant faith in it. And of course, the, the great irony of all this is that the, the major indexes are a shade off of their all-time highs on, well, a nominal, Street, on a nominal basis. Wall Street climbs a wall of worry. You certainly have the worry right now. Yeah. Oh, they've been, so you're, you're I, getting to where you have consensus against it, and consensus makes it, you know, maximum pessimism is the time that John Templeton always said you want to invest. I don't think we're at maximum pessimism yet. Right. No, it, you know, it's funny, I was going to say, that it doesn't sound like they're, they're not really climbing a wall. They're kind of sitting on top of it. I mean, the market has basically been here for the last year or so, mm-hmm. absent a couple of uh, potholes. Uh, it's just it's sitting. It's just sitting. And, you know, there's a Again, people just they don't know what to because there are no fund. I'm not going to rant too much. I'll rant a little bit, though. Uh, there are no real fundamental markers that you can look at that give you real confidence. And the Fed can't find them either because that's why the Fed keeps waiting to raise rates and they won't do it. Uh, show me one thing that says Absolutely, the U.S. Were, economy th- is going to grow strong. I thought you were going to make the bullish case. I, I said I could make it. Let, let's I didn't hear say it. I was going to. I said I could make it. <laughs> I've, I've still never heard you make it. 
I think I've made it once or twice. I've, I've made it once or twice. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you when you look at the economy. The, the data right now is, is you know, sort of muddled. I mean, yes, it looks like the economy in the second quarter is growing better than it did in the first quarter after a very bad, you know, first quarter. Uh, yes, inflation seems to be firming up, but. Then again, I mean, you know, you can for every piece of data I can, you can point to that says right. things are getting improving a bit. You can find like a you know number. I mean, durable goods yesterday was a perfect example where the headline number was great, but the you know the underlying number about business investment was weak. It was lousy, right? All right, let's let's take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side. We'll continue this conversation. Hi, this is Kevin Sitzemong. This is Beth Cracklauer. Check us out on the Off Duty Podcast. We talk about food, cocktails, all of the finer things in life. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcast. And become a subscriber on iTunes. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Jack Otter, Chuck Jaffe. And folks, for more great podcasts, Jason Gay's out there. The Herd on the Street team is out there. Our speakeasy folks are out there. Check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And you can be- become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. And also, we are in the Google Play Music app on your Android devices. We are talking about the economy. We are talking about investor indecision and the 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 thing i think and this is not something you necessarily put a, a data point on but what i think the economy is missing is that one sort of fundamental thing that always seems to be there when it's growing it, it, it could be it could be the internet in the 90s it could be housing it could be a, a, electrifying the nation in the 20s you know rigging up electricity it could be the frontier it could be something but it, rebuilding after the war it, there's always some kind of fundamental growth driver it seems to me and right now you do not have one in the post crisis era it has basically been monetary policy and monetary policy even the Fed will admit it, is at best a Band-Aid. It is not a fundamental growth driver. We are still struggling to find that. And I, I think that is reflected in these numbers. It's reflected in what you see in the market. I think that's a really important point, and it, it is related to all these big macro headwinds. Demography, really bad. You know, we're yes, all getting older. Right. Population growth is down. I mean, uh, growth comes down to two things, population growth and productivity growth. Well, population's going the mm-hmm. wrong way, and um, productivity has been nothing. And that's, right. to your point, there's not that big driver. We right. need that new Internet or something. Yeah. No, I mean, you're, 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 no, I mean, like, I mean, I think everyone's sort of, you know, you know, been talking about this for you know eight years now. I mean, what was going to be the big driver? I mean, you saw the government try to sort of take a, a chance with green energy earlier. Um, you know, uh, there isn't one right now, and, and it also speaks, I think, to and I think this is a thing. One of the things that you know sort of oftentimes gets overlooked, but the depths of which this financial crisis is. It, it you know, climbing out of this, mm-hmm. it's just been a hard, hard slog. Right. I know they are much maligned now because of their spreadsheet errors, but um, Rogoff Reinhardt uh, said that these financial crisis would have, a, on average, a seven-year right. recovery period. 
We're getting close to seven years. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping maybe yeah. uh, we'll find that spark. Well, the bull market is over seven years now. I yeah. mean, yeah. it was bar giant. Um, getting back to the AAI I, mm-hmm. uh, report, I was just like it just made me think. And they, we wrote an article. The WSA wrote an article a few um, a f- in 2014, just pointing out also that these are retail investors, and oftentimes are not the best at market timing. So when they're bullish, that's not necessarily right. a, a good sign for. And um, yeah, but, but that's with that's everything. That's all every optimism survey. I mean, let's be honest. You take yeah. it away from AAII. I'm a Michigan grad. Go to the Michigan Survey of Consumer Confidence. Go to the Investors Business Daily, Investor Optimism. Any of those kind of always show that their timing is horrible. Right. Their, their timing is wretched. But their timing is worst at inflection points. The interesting thing here is I don't think anybody actually thinks like, oh, the market. As bad as you can look out, and if you wanted to make that that bearish case, I don't think the bearish case is, hey, the Fed pops rates in June and the market falls off the deep end. I don't think there's too many people making that case. Two years ago, you had people saying if the Fed raises rates, it cracks the market and everything goes to hell in a handcart. But you're not getting that right now. So while the sentiment can be wrong and sort of has it, it, it's – sort of muddles along and is usually kind of taking a decent pulse up until the point of most stress. So the interesting side here is that it's gotten extreme before we've gotten to a point where we actually expect most. No, I I mean, I I completely agree. I mean, I do think the fact that it's neutral is. I just wanted to point out. No, no, it's it's a good point. That like when, when people are the most bearish. The S and P has risen on average in the next six months eleven yeah. percent. I think part of the problem too is especially everything that has happened over even take it back fifteen years, fifteen sixteen years. Investors have been conditioned to, and it's funny because Chuck, you say no one's making the case that if the Fed raises rates, the economy crashes. You're right, but what I think people have become accustomed to and conditioned to is the fact that the next crash, the next collapse, the next down, it always comes out of some place where no one expected. And now you have a situation where people, they may not be looking at the, the direct line of sight, oh, Fed raises rates, things go down. They're trying to figure out what's around the corner that they can't see. And eventually that, that leads to a kind of paralysis because you are always waiting for something you can't see to come along and wreck everything. Well, by the way, so we talk about these are average investors, and I talked about the Michigan survey. Michigan was part of other research that came out in the last week that was examining the, who was selling at the worst times in 2008, at the darkest moments, mm-hmm. and it was the people who had the most money. It was investors at the top of the income distribution, not, not just the top 1%, but the top 0.1%. Those folks, and then older investors, because they needed to protect themselves, yeah. obviously, they were much more likely to sell than anybody else. So volatility-driven sales winds up being the, the average guy who might be afraid of it in the AAII survey isn't acting on it as much as the rich guy. So, so what do you do in a suit? All right, you know, fella, I mean, Jack, you're a smart guy. Chuck, you're a smart guy. Grocer, you're a average. You're you're my boss. Uh, what 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 do you do? I'm kidding, Grocer. You're a smart guy too. Review season's coming up. I know, it really is. <laughs> I wish you're right. We got that email the other day. I wish I had been thinking about that. Grocer, very smart guy and extremely intelligent. Uh, but but I mean, Jack and Chuck, especially because you guys kind of make a business of giving advice. What do you do in a situation like this as an investor? 
I don't have a great answer, so I'll give you an okay answer. Nothing looks very, very little looks cheap, right? Mm-hmm. Bonds are crazy expensive. Stocks, it's real tough to make an argument they're cheap. Um, so I, there's the, the Outfit Research Associates, Rob Arnott and company. They have a really interesting chart that any stock geek should look up just for fun, even if you don't put your money on it. And it, it um, projects 10-year returns based on current valuations, which include dividends and a few other measures. Um, the outlook for U.S. stocks is just off. I mean, like 1.5% nominal or just something really ugly. Emerging markets, they've got north of 8%, based entirely on valuation. Right. Not that it couldn't go down. I mean, good luck says they're going to go down 40% in the next year. Sure. And Arnott would say, yeah, they might. But, you know, based on today's valuation over a 10-year horizon, you've got it. So I'd say maybe, you know, diversify into something that looks cheap. Hmm. Well, I'll play you the sounder of one strategy. If everyone thinks one thing, then I say bet the other way. Now, that would be one way to think about it. You can, you can go and, and bet against it and say, let me go load up, and that might work for you. But truthfully, I think at times like this, take the KISS approach. Keep it simple and stupid. This is be well diversified and drop your expectations. Yeah. You know, if, I thought if, you meant Knights and Satan's or was a Knight and Satan's service. Uh, <laughs> This, it, no, it, Kiss? Guys, Kiss? The rock band Kiss in the yeah, 70s? Did anybody it. get that? I, I got it. Oh, I, thank God. Somebody got it. <laughs> Good grief. You and Chuck were at Mother's Bar hanging out there <laughs> listening to Kiss. Yeah, I guess so. You know, you, you want to be in a situation right now where if you want to be satisfied with this market in terms of what it can deliver for you, you need to change your expectations. If you don't change, if your expectation is, hey, I'm going to get 10% out of the market because I've read the studies and they tell me that dating back for the last 90 years, the market on average has delivered 10%, you're going to be disappointed. And by the way, the studies also show that investors and not just individuals, there was a study done by State Street Global Advisors of institutional money managers who are expecting that after a little lull here, they're going to get 10 to 11% per annum going forward. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. You need to drop your expectations, make them much more reasonable, and your chances of being satisfied with your return are a heck of a lot better than if you go, okay, I'll, I'll move a lot of things around, and I'll try to keep finding a way to manufacture return. Because right now, I don't think you can figure out ways that are going to consistently manufacture return. So diversification is a smart strategy, and it's what most people should be doing. And most what? people don't have much emerging markets exposure, so right. I think you can have your Jaffe and your Otter at the same time. Uh, you know, there's a little diversification for you that might work. Do they take into account, uh, you know, a Fed raising rates and sort of the idea of what that could impact uh, emerging market uh, stocks? And no. No macro stuff like that at all. They just look purely at valuation. And over a 10-year period, I think central bank activity is Whatever probably going to smooth do, out. That right, is, that's right, fair. Right. It is a 10-year yeah, period. Yeah. All right, so the the K Sarah Sarah approach to investing, <laughs> uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much, everyone. I want to thank you for listening. I want you all to have a great Memorial Day weekend, not just a good one. Have a great one, Grocer. You gotta have a great one, right? Well, after you're being mean to me, I, I, I you know, I'm in a funk. Oh, I ruined Grocer's <laughs> weekend. That's gonna kill my review. Oh gosh. All right, everyone, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. 
journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.